Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. There are lots of true stories of famous and daring robberies. Generally, though, thieves are after the usual suspects. Diamonds, rubies, Monets, da Vinci's, maybe a few gold bars. But as it happens, their horizons have now expanded. People are just stealing it from wherever they can get it that's you know close to somewhere where they can sell it. If you're on the hunt for some of today's most brazen, violent, destructive thieves, you can find them making off with something that's basically everywhere, something that might seem completely worthless. But be assured, it's worth a lot. The stuff that's really getting stolen, that's really causing all the problem, is just common, ordinary sand that's being used for construction. And the reason is just volume, because you need... I mean, to build just an average house, you need something like 400 tons of sand. Right? To build a school, you're talking thousands of tons of sand. In a new book, The World in a Grain, the story of sand and how it transforms civilization, Vince Beiser argues that sand has become one of the most important and fought over commodities in the world. And if you want to know why, there's pretty much a one-word answer. Urbanization. Basically, sand is what our cities are made out of, right? Concrete. Every concrete building in the world, every shopping mall, an office block, an apartment building is made out of concrete, which is just sand and gravel stuck together with cement. And all the roads that connect all those buildings also made mostly of sand. All the windows in those buildings also made of sand. And in developing areas, China, India, Africa, cities are growing so fast, we're now adding an average of eight New York cities a year to the globe. So basically to get the sand to build Shanghai and Vientiane and, and Lagos, people are stripping riverbeds bare, stripping beaches bare, lake bottoms bare, literally down to the rock, causing massive environmental damage. So in response, in many places, governments and authorities are trying to stop that and to put controls to you know limit the damage that's being caused by sand mining. That in turn has just created a giant black market in sand. Literally run in India, where it's probably at its worst, they call them the sand mafia. I kid you not. Beiser says that mafia has killed hundreds of people, including journalists, police officers, and all sorts of other folks. So I went to investigate the killing of this one particular guy, a man named Paliram Chohan, who lived in a village uh, just about an hour south of Delhi. And what happened there was a local sand mafia, a bunch of thieves, basically, came in and took over about 200 acres of his village's land, ripped up all the crops, stripped away all the topsoil, and started digging out the sand to sell to builders in Delhi. Well, this guy tried to organize, you know, the village to get this to stop, and he kept complaining to the police and to the courts and to the media and anyone who would listen to try to get this to stop. One of these guys said to him, you're starting to really annoy us. Cut it out or we're going to kill you. About a week later... Three guys burst into his house and shot him dead in his bed. So how did we get here to a place of sand mafias and killings and thefts? How did the thing which is most abundant on the crust of the earth, something that seems so ordinary, so cheap, how did it become an object of desire? Well, like lots of things in life, it's an accident of timing. Back around 1900, a guy named Edward Ransom was working on building things with concrete, But concrete wasn't super attractive, and at first, he just couldn't get anybody to bite. People were like, why would we do that? We have bricks. We have, you know, stone. Why would we try this crazy new material? Right. So he had a hard, you know, he 
he pushed it and pushed it and managed to get a few buildings built. And he had a few buildings in place when all of a sudden the San Francisco earthquake hits, 1906. The mm. city is completely devastated. Massive earthquake followed by a three-day fire. Most of the city is burned literally to the ground. But when the smoke cleared, there, you know, standing amid the ashes were, guess what? Edward Ransom's concrete buildings because mm. concrete is, you know, basically fireproof. Right. And that really got a lot of attention uh, around the country and around the world, people really started to look at this stuff and go, wow, this this stuff really works. Let's start using it. And Thomas Edison was completely in love with it, decided he was going to build not only concrete houses, but concrete furniture, concrete couches, concrete pianos. A concrete couch sounds fantastic. I... Right? Super comfy. <laughs> Who doesn't want to unwind on your concrete <laughs> couch at the end of the day? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, pluck out a tune on the concrete piano when you're up for it. <laughs> so he didn't get too far with that, but he did, uh, you know, he did build some prototypes. He did have a concrete piano that he sort of toured around. But it just kind of shows you how, you know, over the moon people were right. with this stuff. Because you think about it, it's so much easier to work with than basically any other building material that people have ever created. It's it's a liquid. You pour it into whatever shape you want. You leave it alone, you come back, and it's solid stone. Right. And it's not just buildings. It's the national highway system. I mean, it's just pervasive in ways that it's hard for us to even kind of wrap our minds around. Exactly. It's it's the highways. It's roads. It's dams. It's airport runways. I mean, it's, you know, it is literally the concrete is really the foundation of the modern world. Like right. You could not have the world we live in without concrete. And if that wasn't enough in terms of saying like how important sand is to us, like that it's this crucial element of concrete, it's also the foundation of making glass. So when you think about like, you know, H.J. Heinz and the very beginnings of the packaged food industry or delivering milk to people or wine bottles or beer bottles or Coca-Cola, those things like you could not have done any of those things without sand. Exactly. Exactly. And it turns out that the manufacturing glass, right around the same time that concrete was really, you know, sort of coming into its own, the same, a very similar thing was happening with mass manufactured glass, right? Glass has been around for thousands of years. People have known how to make it, you know, sort of crude forms of glass since at least ancient Egypt. But again, it was, it was during the Industrial Revolution, late 1800s, there was a man in particular named Michael Owens who worked for a glass manufacturer in Toledo, Ohio, who invented a machine, the world's first machine for mass manufacturing bottles. And this made them the biggest bottle manufacturer in the world and made possible, just like you said, it completely revolutionized how we eat and drink. Because all of a sudden, in a way that was never possible before, you could put beer or ketchup or peanut butter or whatever you wanted in these containers and ship it across the country and keep it on your shelf for, you know, weeks and months, completely change the way that we eat. Is the sand that's used in America, so like if a school was being built in, you know, in some town in the U.S., does that sand come from America or is it being potentially stolen from somewhere in India or whatever? Yeah, usually it comes from somewhere close by. As soon as you start having to transport it, the cost of using it goes way up. And this is why a big part of why it's such a problem is because you really need to get your sand from close to where you're building, whatever it is you're building. 
And if you are building a city of 20 million people like Shanghai, you need an awful lot of sand from very close by. So it means you're really you know, tearing up basically all the sand that's in the vicinity. And, and I assume that ruins like farmer's land. And I mean, that means you're tearing up the areas around Shanghai to build this vast city. I would guess that the people around Shanghai and the countryside around there aren't like thrilled that you're dredging their rivers and polluting them and whatever. Exactly. So, I mean, in, in the specific case of Shanghai, so Shanghai has just exploded in the past 20, 30 years. They have added, since the year 2000, Shanghai has built more skyscrapers than there are in all of New York City. Wow. Just since 2000. Just since 2000. Like, they are not kidding around. Right. <laughs> right. And most of that sand came from the Yangtze River, came from the bottom of the Yangtze River, which is one of the most important waterways in China. And they did so much damage, like they were wiped, killing so many fish and causing so many riverbanks to collapse. People's homes and, and, and farmers' fields were collapsing into the river that they've basically banned sand mining on the Yangtze River and moved it up a little further to uh, a lake called Lake Poyang, which is probably the biggest sand mine in the world right now. And that, of course, is causing all kinds of problems. It's a big, there are all kinds of endangered species that live there, endangered birds and rare manatees that are really under threat because of the sand mining. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. I'm talking with Vince Weiser, author of the book, The World in a Grain, the story of sand and how it transformed civilization. Do you worry that we're running out of sand? I worry about it a lot, absolutely. I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's happening. It's kind of similar to what's happening with oil and gas in a way. I mean, of course, there's a lot of sand in the world, right? There's more of it than anything else. And we're not going to literally, like, you know, use up the very last grain anytime soon. You know, it's not going to be like Mad Max with, you know, people fighting over the last, you know, pile of sand somewhere. But the stuff that's easy to get, just like with oil, the stuff that's close to the surface, close to where we need it to be, is mostly gone. And we're having to go further and further and really do more and more damage very often to the environment to get at the stuff that's left. And in a lot of places, like here in the United States... There's plenty of sand. For instance, where I live in Los Angeles, there's plenty of sand, construction sand right nearby, but it's now underneath the city, right? The city has spread out and covered. They're not going to bulldoze houses to get sand. Exactly. But that means that we have to go further and further afield and truck in sand from, you know, 50, 100, 150 miles away to get the sand to, to build buildings in Los Angeles. And that, you know, creates more truck right. traffic, more uh, greenhouse gas emissions, mm. all of that bad stuff. I mean, it's, to give you an idea, it's sand is in such short supply here in Los Angeles that we actually import some from Canada. Wow, which is not close to Los Which Angeles. is not close at all. <laughs> Last time I checked. <laughs> so talk for just a second about uh, the environmental damage because... Um, One of the striking things about what you wrote is uh, how widespread these effects are, whether it's an effect on coral reefs or certain kinds of dolphins being being hurt by our craving for sand. Just just talk a little bit about the dominoes that have fallen and and, yeah, the widespread environmental effects here. So one of the number one problems is when we suck up that sand, the easiest place to get that sand, the best place is from river bottoms. The sand down there, it's nice and clean, it's well sorted, it's washed, and it's really easy to get. All you need to do, float a boat out onto the middle of a, of a river, drop a big suction pipe, basically a big straw down to the bottom of the river, 
and just suck up hundreds and thousands of tons of sand. This is done all over the world. The problem with it is, you know, if you're any kind of creature or plant that's living on the bottom of that river, you're gone, right? Your whole habitat has just been destroyed. Also, when you stir up all kinds of sand and muck and other stuff that clouds up the water for what can be a very long time, that can also suffocate fish and other things that are living in the water. It also blocks sunlight from getting through the water to plants and to coral reefs, right? Underwater plants need sunlight just like above-ground plants. So a lot of things get suffocated and killed just by sand being stirred up. So... When you sort of uh, think about the future, and we've talked about these the incredible uses of sand and just how it makes our life um, better in so many ways and enables sort of like the migration out of the countryside to the city, which is happening on steroids. But then you see all like all these downsides and and this kind of mafia around sand. Is there an alternative? Is there something we could be doing better? Is there, you know, a way to, like, wean ourselves off sand? Have you thought of any sort of solutions here, potentially? Um, There are a lot of people, a lot of researchers all around the world looking at ways that we can use sand more efficiently or replace it. For instance, we could, you know, there's a lot of work being done on creating new forms of concrete that use less sand or that use other things instead of sand, like shredded bamboo or shredded waste plastic. But at the end of the day, we've got to think of sand as just one more natural resource that we are over-consuming. Because again, sand is the most abundant thing on the planet. And if we're running out of that, which we are, then we're really in trouble. Hmm. Vince Beiser is the author of The World in a Grain, the story of sand and how it transforms civilization. Vince, thank you so much. Thanks. It was great being here. And one more thing here about sand, as if it wasn't desirable enough. It also turns out to be crucial to the creation of cutting-edge technology. We will have Vince Beiser explaining why there might not be a Silicon Valley if it weren't for sand. That's at innovationhub.org.